0: Good morning, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, it was interesting, yesterday uh, David, Nick and I were talking and I was debating on speaking on Philippians 1 or, uh, or looking in the book of Acts and, um, and as I was talking to David, he said, well, I was doing Philippians 2 so I go, he's speaking tonight. So I go, well, I guess that makes up my mind. It's Philippians chapter one. So turn with me there. Um, it's a tremendous book, and there's no way we're going to be able to. as we make some sound. But, and I guess our USA guys, uh, men took it this year, won the gold. So, um, but I just love watching it. And, and we had some. Uh, our Canadian uh, families not here, but uh, the women's hockey team uh, won the gold this year and beat Canada out. So um, it's been a tremendous year and there's a sense of joy, but the, the thing that, that um, is tremendous and what you don't see is you just see the victory, you see the performance, you don't see the behind the scenes, the years, the lifetime of, of dedication to this sport of making sacrifices. Uh, they asked one of the, um, I forget which one it was, uh, it was one It was one of the skaters of uh, of all the sacrifices you've made. And her response was, well, yeah, I guess I make sacrifices, but I really don't know what I'm sacrificing. I don't know what I'm missing because all I know is you, you got to train, 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 train. And if I was to right now say, hey, I'm going to go out and be a professional, uh, I'm going to go to the Olympics and be an ice skater. It's too late you got to start when you're a young kid, and Ricky's laughing, but he would pay money to watch me fall. But as you see these stories, and actually they interview them, you'll see that a lot of them end up with broken bones. Uh, when those ice skaters do the, the twirls in the air, they fall, and, and, and they suffer injuries. But it's a, it's a commitment that they make, and it's a sacrifice they make for that one moment of glory when they stand on that podium representing their country, and that gold medal is put around their neck. You know, we had a tremendous opportunity to remember uh, Jean McKay, Grandma Jean, yesterday. And she had a lifetime of serving the Lord. And, and you see the legacy she left behind her, you see everything she's done. But you know, what, what uh, is, we're going to touch about a little bit this morning is that she now sees her Savior. And see, in the same sense is that the Olympians, if they make the gold medal, they'll stand on the podium. We will stand on that podium. We will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the sacrifices, all the suffering, everything we've done in this body, on this earth, will all of a sudden become real and we will fully understand what it's about, that we are able to glorify our Savior. You know, right now, we have a very unique opportunity and privilege that we're not going to have an eternity. We're not going to be able to suffer for the Lord in eternity. We're not going to be able to make sacrifices for the Lord in eternity. We're not going to be able to serve and meet the needs of the saints in eternity because the saints will be perfect and they'll have the Lord Jesus Christ with them. We're not going to be able to, in the same sense, glorify God in this body as we can on this earth And God has designed it, and he's enabled us, and he's he's putting us in this position right now to serve him, to live for him, to glorify him, to bring praises to him. And Paul would exalt this in the key verse of 1, 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what we're going to look at this morning, and the main theme as we go through this, this chapter is... Are we living with eternity in view? Are we living with eternity in view in this sense that this time of suffering, this time on this earth is short. It's a short period in our life, but it's a tremendous privilege that that we have the opportunity right now to go through trials, to go through tribulation and to glorify God right now in a very unique way. And then at the end of it, when we stand before our Savior, when we stand on that podium in the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be rewards. And we're going to be able to stand there. And the Savior can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Everything that we went through on this earth, all this suffering. And look at me real quick, because we're going to, we're going to look at this, uh, get to this verse eventually. But in 129, it says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for His sake. We have been given a privilege. Now I don't. I like the belief part. I like the child of God part. I like the eternal security part. I like the part of of of, of uh, ministering to the sakes. But He's given us the opportunity to suffer for His sake. It's kind of deep to take it in. But to think of it and what we're going to look at is Paul's actual perspective here is the contemplation of of a going to glory to see the Lord Jesus Christ or b staying on this earth and serving the Lord in this capacity. Which is better? Which is greater? There's a need for him here on this earth and there's a need for each and every one of us and to have this eternal perspective that we have a unique opportunity right now to serve the Lord and to suffer for him. Give you a little background of the book of Philippians before we dive in. And I'm going to go fast through the first part of the chapter. And then we're going to try to sit down a little more in the second part because I want to build up Paul's experience and what he's talking about and his unique relationship with the Philippian believers. But um, Paul was the one that uh, is obviously writing this letter from verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy are bondservants of Jesus Christ. Paul in his second missionary journey went through Philippi, and there he went and and, and and evangelized, and Lydia was saved in her household as well as you remember the story of the Philippian jailer, as he was then arrested because of this uh, demonic woman that was following him around this city, and he finally got annoyed, it says, and he cast a demon out. Well, this cost her uh, her uh, her boss a lot of money, so he ended up turning Paul in and he was uh, Paul was arrested, he was beaten him and Silas and imprisoned and then that night there was a a great earthquake but Paul didn't flee as that Philippian jailer was going to kill himself but he stayed put and the jailer ended up getting saved in in his household as well as there's probably other people that Paul led to the Lord there in his second missionary journey and after this he ended up leaving uh, Philippi it is believed that on his third missionary journey he would have past going through Troas to Macedonia, then he went down to Greece and back through Macedonia to Troas, but during that Macedonia passageway, he would have visited probably, we believe, the, the Philippian believers at that time, both going, and then when he went down to Greece, and then he would have came back up and um, as well visited them, developing this relationship. As well, the, the Philippian believers continued to support Paul, to send him money, to, to, to uh, co-labor with him and to encourage him. And to go about, Paul now is in prison. He's in Rome, and it's believed that that probably during his time, two years in Rome, and he's under house arrest, that he wrote this letter as well as his uh, the prison epistles of uh, he wrote Ephesians and uh, and um, Colossians. But it's believed that he probably wrote uh, Philippians, one of the last ones, that he sent the other letters first that circulated. But what happened was Epaphroditus sent money, or or the the church at Philippi sent Paul money through the hands of Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus came and ministered to Paul and so forth. So his reason for writing them back is that he's going to send this letter back to Epaphroditus, back to the church at Philippi, to not only thank them for the money, but to encourage the saints there and this unique relationship that he has with uh, the Philippian believers there, and he's hoping that one day he can come back and he could uh, visit him. So this is probably written about A.D. 60, 63. Probably more time. They they, they surmise that, that Paul was in Rome in prison, and then there's going to be a release where he's probably acquitted, and then they some surmise that there was a fourth missionary journey. He then went out and, and visited the church again as well as different churches. and then he was then imprisoned again a second time and then which he, was, he wrote first, second, Timothy and Titus, and in which he was then later put to death. So his writing to them is in response to the money and the gift that was sent to him. The theme here, as, as some have pointed out, is the joy in the Christian life is a Christian, experience I've titled it living Christ through all circumstances our joy through all circumstances and the key verse is one I've already read for me for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain that no matter what the circumstances no matter what comes our way our God is in absolute control he is sovereign and he is working and even though we're going to see as Paul is in prison and he's he's gone from Caesarea from Jerusalem to Caesarea to now to Rome And the gospel is spreading and people are getting saved and Christians are being emboldened because of this. That we would look at the circumstances of Paul's affairs, of him being in jail and say, man, where's God? What's he doing? You know, it's so much better for Paul to be free and be able to move about and visit the churches. The Lord has his plan and he is working and he's in absolute control. So in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Here we see Timothy was there, along with Paul in Rome, ministering to him. And both they're identified as bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Here we see that the church at uh, Philippi was a mature church. It was one that, that went beyond uh, since Paul Uh, Evangelized there to not only saints gathering together, but they have recognized overseers or elders and they have recognized deacons and they're going on as a mature assembly. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul loves the Philippian believers. He loves them so much that he's constantly in prayer and supplication for them. And it's not a labor, it's a joy, he says here. That in every prayer of his, he's making requests with joy, and he's so glad of the fellowship that they have in the gospel from the first day until now, that the Philippian believers have gone on in the Lord. They've matured in their Christian faith. They haven't forsaken Paul, they haven't forsaken their fellowship in the faith, but they have continued to pray for Paul, to financially support Paul, to minister to Paul as Epaphroditus came and did. And they've always been faithful. And in Philippians chapter four, he goes on and even exhorts them more how many other assemblies might have fallen off, but The Philippian believers never did. They remained faithful to Paul. And he has this unique relationship with them. But look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This work and what he's speaking about here is not only their salvation, but their sanctification and the whole process in which we are living on this earth right now and God is preparing us. God has given us the grace to serve him. And he is sanctifying us and he is conforming us to the image of Christ. That this is a work that God is doing. You see, as Paul's going to get into later on. But the circumstances oftentimes we think may not be necessary for the time. But you know what? God knows what we need. And God is more interested in conforming us to the image of Christ. God is more interested in our character than giving us all the blessings and all the cushions of life. You know, one thing that, that uh, I do, and I don't know if you're like me, but uh, I don't like pain. So when I got a headache, what do we do? We take something for it. My kids are the same exact way. That when They're sick. When they got a headache, they, where's the medicine at? Give me the Tylenol. Give me the ibuprofen. And if we're really in pain and they give us the the good stuff from the hospital, all the pain is gone. But you know, there's certain times that we have to go through life and pain and suffering is just part of life. It's the difficult areas of life that really draw us closer to the Lord It's a time that we are in pain and suffering, where we are dependent upon the Lord, when we are crying out upon him, that our character is really being stretched and we're really being conformed to the image of Christ, that we really understand and have a compassion for one another. We're really changed from the inside out. And see, this is a work of God in which he's doing and he is faithful and he has begun this work in us. And he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's never going to give it up. He's never going to stop working us. He's never going to stop chastening us. He's never going to stop blessing us. He has begun this work. And the day of Jesus Christ speaks of the rapture in which he will return himself for the Christians when we will then no longer be in these sin-cursed bodies. We're no longer going to suffer in eternity. We're no longer going to feel pain in eternity. This is only a unique time right now where we're experiencing this. As Grandma Jean went on to be with the Lord, the minute she passed on, there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. She sees her Savior face to face. I love what Billy Graham said. He said, one day you're going to hear that I died. Probably some of you heard this, but one day you're going to hear that I died, but don't be deceived. I am never more alive. And that's the truth. We look forward to that day we will see our Savior. We look forward to the day when Lord Jesus Christ comes. And don't get me wrong, I don't want to drag it out. I don't want to stay on this earth any longer than I have to, but... We have to have the, the, the same mentality that Paul has in which the Lord has placed us here with a purpose and we've got to fulfill that purpose that we can glorify God right now in these bodies in a very unique way and to understand that. And sometimes when we go through the sufferings, we go through the trials, we don't understand right now. We don't understand why the Lord allows certain things to happen. We have the, the Stratmans that are coming um, in several weeks. And, and many of you know uh, Daniel Stratman. He's in a wheelchair. I don't know why this happened to him. But that young man, which is an older man now, but from the time that it happened and his family has brought glory to God. That they're not going to be able to glorify God in eternity in the same way. They're going to be able to glorify God in eternity, but not in the same way that right now, that through their suffering, they continue to praise God and to look to God and to say, Jesus is sufficient for all my needs. And each one of us now, everything we go through, the Lord has allowed us to experience certain things in our life for his purpose and for his glory and for our character And at the end of the day, when we see our Savior face to face, it will all make sense. But as those Olympians, when they're they're training, and they're breaking bones, and they're hurting, and they're exhausted. They finally realize that all the pain and suffering when they stand on that podium was worth it. That everything they gave up for that one moment of glory was worth it. But how much more, and that just... Uh, is, a, is a little glimpse of something we can try to see that when we stand before our Savior, and everything we've sacrificed for Him, everything we've given up for Him, everything we've lived for Him, is going to be worth it. But right now it may not seem. Right now we might be exhausted. We might be tired. We might be feel like giving up. We might say, "What difference does it make? Let's throw in the towel. Let's quit." Paul would never do this, not even in his journey in being imprisoned in Rome, not even in any of his beatings that he took place. He would never, ever stop living for Christ. Are we living for Christ today? Can we say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain? The rapture was to occur right now. What earthly possessions are we going to be holding on to? What is God going to have to snatch out of my hands as he pulls me up to be with him? What investments have I made into this world that's just going to be left behind? Is it wealth? Is it fame? Is it self? Is it the comforts of this world? A lot of times it's not the, the, the bad it's not that things are sin, but the Lord is looking for us to be a living sacrifice. And what is it that I can give up for the Lord? Not in the sense that, 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 that he is looking for us in the flesh, but that I no longer count as important because for the sake of the, the, the glorious gospel and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when I look at what the Savior did for me on the cross of Calvary and how he died for me, how he took my sins, it should compel us to serve Him wholeheartedly. That we would leave behind the things of this world and count them as, as emptiness to go on and serve the Lord and to live for Him in this unique opportunity on this earth till the Lord calls us home. Verse 7 says, Just as it is right for me to think this of all of you, because I have you in my heart. Look at the, the, the term of Endurement and the love that Paul has for these believers is that he has them in his heart, the seat of his affection. And as much as both in my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of the grace. That just as Paul has has defended and suffered for the sake of Christ and that grace is sufficient for him to keep going on, this is the same grace that is sufficient for these Philippian believers As well as the grace that is sufficient for us. Verse 8 For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Can we say that about our fellow believers? Can we say that we long for each other with the affection of Jesus Christ, that we have that true, genuine, sincere desire and love for one another? that we want nothing but the best for each other, that we are willing to lay down our lives and sacrifice our lives for each other. This is Paul's relationship with the Philippians. He would give them anything. He longs not only to see them, but that they would continue to grow in the Christian faith and mature and to increase in in love and knowledge of the Savior. You know, oftentimes we get asked to help the saints. And sometimes it's like, yeah, I, I and David and I were talking about this. Yeah, if I, I have nothing to, going on, then yeah, I'll help you. How often do we rearrange our schedule to help the saints? How often do we drop what we're doing to go visit the saints? To go, and, and, and again, this is as much a message, perhaps maybe for you, but more so for me and the conviction of myself and how. I really examine myself and and how much do I live for self right now? How much am I more interested in my own castle and my own house and my own kingdom and everything that has to do with me and my surroundings and my own joy and my own comfort than I am about the things of Christ, the things that Christ cares about, which is the church and the fellow Christians. How often do I intercede nonstop for you? Are you for me? And a true, genuine, sincere love. You know, we, as Justin spoke, and, and, and it's, I love how the, the, the brethren right now in the, in the assembly is really trying to be transparent and open and honest. And they say Christianity is hard, prayer is hard. Being faithful to the local meetings could be hard. Nobody said it's easy. Suffering is hard. I find myself not praying like I should. I find myself not reading my Bible like I should. I find myself not spending time with the Lord Jesus like I should. But when we come back together and then the Christians regather and we get energized, and the more time I spend with the Christians, the more I think about you, and the more I spend time with you, I think about you, the more I pray for you, the more I want to study my Bible, the more I want to live for Christ. But the more I separate myself from you, the less I'm interested in you. Because you're no longer in my world. You're no longer in front of me. And how the New Testament church, they live day and day and day and day, every day, meeting with one another, encouraging one another, exhorting one another. And this is Paul's affection for these Philippian believers, is that he truly, genuinely loves these believers and would give anything and everything for them. And we should have that same for each other. He says this, and this is his prayer for them. And this is our prayer that we should have for each and every one of us. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Interesting, he doesn't pray that, that, that their suffering would stop or, 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 or be limited. He doesn't pray for their wealth. He doesn't pray for their, their, their fame. He doesn't pray for an easier life. He prays that their love may abound still more and more. And look at it, it's interesting as he says, in what? In knowledge and in all discernment. See, because love is a choice and we need to understand what love is because God is love. And we need to understand what the divine love is. And you see, we take it in and we comprehend that love and we let it go to our hearts and we let it affect our lives. Then when we understand what true divine love is, we should then take that love and use it with all discernment. In other words, put it into action. Use it effectively. Take that love that we are increasing increasing and spread it about in a very effective manner so that we change each other's lives. See, they will know we are Christians by our love for one another. God is a God of love. Everything that Christian does, the main goal, the main aim is to love God and to love his fellow Christian his fellow man, and the love of the lost, and we represent. There's no more than we can represent God than when we are representing Him in a very loving manner, as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. Verse 10: That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That I mean, we may approve the things that are excellent. Look over real quick with me at chapter four. And uh, verse 8, and we can see example of what things that are excellent that should be dominating our lives and that should be, uh, that we should be approving of. Finally, brother, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, report. If there are any virtue or, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. These are excellent that we should approve, and that we should be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. As we've already mentioned, to be open and honest and, and have an open heart towards one another and not be offensive towards one another. Everything we do affects one another in either a positive way or a negative way. We can turn people off of Christ and we can turn people towards Christ. Paul's goal is to discipline his body and to bring this objection so that when he preaches, he's not disqualified. But see, everything we do in this church, as a body of believers, when we come together, we represent Christ and we encourage or we discourage one another. We can just as easily encourage one another as we can tear each other apart. But we need to exalt one another and serve one another. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. You see, when we're filled with these fruits of righteousness, we live for Jesus Christ. We give glory and we give praise to God. What a unique privilege. What a unique opportunity that we have right here in these bodies. That is all the principalities, all the angels, everybody's watching us. These Christians, these ones that were once separated from God and now have been brought back into a right relationship with Him. We have the accuser of the brethren, which is Satan, day and night going before uh, God, accusing us. Look at the way that Christian acts. Look at what he does. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, and we know, but in our actions, in our choices, in everything we we do right now in these bodies, we have the opportunity to glorify and bring praise to God. This is a tremendous privilege that God has entrusted to us and he has granted to us. Verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. You see, Paul was in prison, and as he went to Rome, people would say, and often do in police work, when you see somebody in custody in the, in the, in the jail or the holding tank, Or you see him arrested, oftentimes you say, Oh, what do you have? What did you arrest him for? And then they tell you. The same thing when Paul would come through and they would deliver him into Rome and they say, Who's that? That's Paul, the one that turned the world upside down. That's Paul the evangelist. And as it went throughout, it became evident to the whole palace guards that, that Paul was a servant of Jesus Christ and his chains we in Christ. Palace guards would get saved. The, the gospel would continue to go out and flourish because Paul was, a te- was given testimony to Jesus Christ and his chains. And look at verse 14. When we see Christians suffer, it, it empowers us. It energizes us. In verse 14, And most of the brethren and the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul glories that the gospel is going forward and that some actually preach and some try to disqualify Christ or could disqualify Paul, but they go on preaching out of their own selfish ambition for their own gain, for their own glory, for their own monetary um, advantage. But Paul is just glad that Christ is preached, that it goes on. Verse 19 For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Notice Paul is so confident in prayer and the power of prayer that he is confident that because of the prayer of the Philippian believers that this would bring about his deliverance, that he would be acquitted, that he would be let go. This is how fervent these Philippian believers would pray for Paul. And not only pray for him for his deliverance, but the supply of the, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, but that the Holy Spirit would comfort Paul and give him the strength and the ability to continue on and to stand up in boldness and supply what is lacking in his life. You know, one of the things that, as I've mentioned, we have the opportunity to suffer, and we have the opportunity to go on and live for Christ First thing is that we've got to understand is that our living for Christ is not dependent upon the flesh. It's not depending upon our own strength and our own power to do it. If we want to turn around and serve God out of our own flesh, what will end up happening is we're going to end up discouraged. We're going to end up um, tired. We're going to end up giving up. But see, when God calls us to live for him and when we live for Christ through the power of his spirit, he gives us the enablement. He gives us the ability. He gives us the strength to continue on. He gives us supernatural powers. He gives us uh, the gifts that are needed, the ability, the spiritual endowments to witness for him. The spirit of God is within us, speaking through our tongues, bringing to remembrance the things of the scripture and so on. But it's through his power we are able to accomplish great things. That the boldness you see in the apostles from day one all the way through in the book of Acts is not their own flesh, not their own strength, not because there's something great. Because God's great and God is living through them and they're allowing the power of God to work through them. You see, the same power that that rose Jesus from the grave, that tremendous power is the same power God has given us to walk in newness of life and to live victorious over sin and death. And this is what is given to Paul to continue on. Verse 20 says, According to my earnest expectation and the hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul doesn't know if he'll be delivered or not. Paul doesn't know if he'll face death or not. But Paul is willing to do whatever the Lord Jesus Christ allows him to do, whatever he has in place for him. Whether it's life or death, his sole purpose, his sole goal, is to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. This word magnify uh, means to exalt, to make great, to enlarge or increase And it's not that we make Christ great. Christ is already great. He doesn't need us to do that. But what our goal is doing is we cause others to exalt or praise Christ by our actions, by what we're doing. That everyone that sees us, that they would see Christ living out in us, and that would cause them to exalt and praise God. And Paul's saying that whether he's going to live in this life, whether he's going to continue on, he wants to magnify Christ. Or if he's going to die, he's going to give his body to be burned or whatever it might be. It's to glorify Christ. That all that see him, they'll think one thing, and that's Christ. And that's what Paul would sum up, for to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. To leave this life and to go on to see the Lord Jesus Christ is what Paul would call gain, because he's no longer suffering. He's no longer um, has the sin within his his uh, his members that he is fighting and he's dwelling with. But he has left all that behind, and he goes to see his Savior, face to face. Face. If people examined our life, what would they identify in us? What priorities would they identify in us? Would they say there's someone that lived for Christ? Or would they say there's someone that lived for fame, for wealth, for the pleasures of the world, for exalting themselves? There's a selfish individual. Or would they say there's a self-sacrificing individual that honored and lived for their Savior? Verse 22 says, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. See, he's hard-pressed. And what he's going to say in verse 23, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul is so affectionate towards these Philippian believers and so desiring to meet their needs in Christ, that he would forego going to see his Savior, which is far better, to be able to meet their spiritual needs and to minister to him right here and right now. He's so torn between the two. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. The selfishness would be, I want to go be with Christ. I want to see my Savior. There's nothing wrong with that. But to say, you know what, until that day, there's a need for me here. There's a need for me right now in the assembly that you're in. Right now, the Christians that are, that are surrounded around you. There's a need for you to minister and to exhort and to encourage and to lift up and to pray for and to suffer together. together to live for the Lord. William McDonald states this. Here in a nutshell is Paul's philosophy of life. He did not live for money, fame, or pleasure. The object of his life was to love, worship, and serve the Lord Jesus. He wanted his life to be like the life of Christ. He wanted the Savior to live out his life through him. What a tremendous testimony that Paul has left of a person that you can truly put on his tombstone, on his graveside, that he lived for Christ wholeheartedly. He held nothing back. He sacrificed it all. And he lived for the Lord Jesus. Verse 25, And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, But also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. How is our conduct? How do we represent Christ in this world? How do we represent Christ to each other? Do we walk as Christ walked? Do we serve as Christ served? Are we a light to this world? Do we walk in unity? Do we put others' needs above ourselves? Are we walking worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that gospel which saved us, that gospel which justified us, that gospel that came and changed our lives? Or are we walking according to the conduct of this world? Are we walking according to the principalities of this world and the things of this world? Do we characterize ourselves by the surrounding world in which we live in? Or do we shine as a light? Are we standing out and living for Christ? Because we will suffer persecution if we live for Christ. Are we more interested in our own well-being? Paul says that whether he is able to come to him them or not, or whether he's absent, he wants to hear. And he has long ears to hear their affairs and know how they are doing spiritually, how their walk is. Are they going on for the Lord Jesus Christ? How is the assembly doing? How is the health of the assembly? Are they standing fast in one spirit? with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And we'll hear more about this tonight in Philippians chapter 2. That the importance in God looks at our relationship with one another as a very key thing and important to him. He wants us to be one, striving together as one. To be one mind, and that mind in which we are to have is the mind of Christ. Not my mind, not my opinions, not my ways, but Christ's ways and us striving together, marching with the same goal of seeing people saved, seeing lives changed for Jesus Christ, of exhorting the saints, and seeing the, each and every one of us built up in the most holy faith. And when we live together and we strive together and we're a testimony in boldness, the world sees it. To them it's proof of their perdition or their destruction. But to you, it's of salvation and that we're from God. Verse 29, in closing. For to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, we have the opportunity and God has opened up the way of salvation for every person. To many, as as come to Him and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, He has opened up that right to be called children of God. He has given you that opportunity. But not only the opportunity to become a Christian, not only the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, to have your sins forgiven, but the opportunity to suffer and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul, let me rephrase that, when Saul of Tarsus was zealous for persecuting the Christians, and dragging them into courts and, and 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 condone Stephen's death. The Lord Jesus Christ confronted him on the road to Damascus. So why are you persecuting me? You see, when we suffer for Christ, it's not us just suffering alone, but it's Christ as well, right along the side of us. And he's suffering with us. He is there, encouraging and taking along with us that we suffer for him, for his sake, for his glory and honor. Let us live not for ourselves, let us live for the Lord Jesus Christ in this earth, in this body, until the Lord Jesus Christ comes to take us home. or uh, He takes us home in another way. Let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we just thank you so much. Oh, the Savior, we thank you so much for not only this opportunity that uh, each and every one of us that have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have granted us the opportunity to be saved and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to be called children of God. You have also given us that privilege to suffer for your sakes, to live for you, to be a living sacrifice for you, to devote our lives for you, and to glorify and to praise you, oh God. We thank you. We pray that you'll help each and every one of us as we walk in this earth to be a light and a testimony to you. Lead and guide us, strengthen us, we do pray. In the Lord Jesus we pray, amen.